this time of uh, year, there's always uh, certain songs that begin to pop into my head, and you may, you may think you know what those songs are. You're probably thinking, well, yeah, this time of year, the songs pop into your head like Jingle Bells and Santa Claus is Coming to Town, and it's true, uh, although th- those don't really pop into my head so much as they're kind of forced into my ears from every direction, everywhere you go, you begin to hear the uh, jingle bells and songs like that. But this time of year, this, this season of Advent, for some reason, every year, or at least in the last few years, as this season rolls around, there are these songs that begin to kind of come into my mind. And the, the songs that come into my mind are these. They're, they're particularly the songs, the, the black spirituals. And so these were songs that you know that were born out of a um, horrific period in our country of human slavery. And the reason I think that they always come into my mind during this, this season of Advent, because Advent, like I said, is a time of, of waiting on the Lord to return, of waiting on deliverance, of knowing that we have hope, but living in the presence of suffering, is because these songs express that in such a beautiful way. That these are people who are singing in the midst of darkness and in the midst of oppression, in the midst of horrible circumstances, but over and over and over again, what you hear in these songs is that the Lord is my deliverer, that the Lord is my master, not some white guy in overalls. And that is the song of, of Advent. Those are the songs of, uh, that we sing during this time that despite what I see and despite my circumstances and despite what is going on in the world, that God has not forgotten His people, that He is with us and that He is coming again. Just listen to one of the, the, the lyrics to some of these, one of these spirituals. So simple. But it expresses, like the Psalms do, what we feel and what we hope for. Sometimes I feel, I can't sing it, I wish I could. Somebody I met earlier could sing it. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child. Like a motherless child. Like a motherless child. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child a long way from home. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone, like I'm almost gone, like I'm almost gone. Sometimes I feel like I'm almost gone, way up in the heavenly land. Before we think about the passage from our prophet, let me, let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Father, we do live in a time that is in between, that we know the truth And we know that the truth in many ways has set us free, that we are free from, as we've already heard this morning, from the bondage of sin and its misery. Father, we are free from those things, but we also know we live in a time when we are waiting for you to return to set things right again. And it can feel overwhelming, and it can feel dark, and it can feel hard, and it can feel depressing, and we can be full of anxiety and grief and heartache. And so, Father... What we need this morning is for you to come and to fill us with hope, to give us a glimpse of your glory, for us to see that there is um, reason to not lose heart, that there is reason to not let our hands grow weak, that there is reason to trust and believe that you are coming again. Father, help us to see that. For those of us this morning who know it, 
Would you revive it within us for those of us this morning who may not know it? May you open their eyes this morning to see it for the first time. We ask this in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Well, Zephaniah is probably his favorite prophet. Um, we think about the prophets in the old, probably thinking about Zephaniah. And partly that's true because the first two and a half chapters of his three book, three chapter book are feel, filled with a lot of pretty scary stuff. That they're filled with a lot of judgment and they're filled with the reason to be angry. And at the very beginning of this book, he tells us a little bit about, gives us a little bit of his, traces himself back to a man named Hezekiah, who was a king. And so I think that the reason that Zephaniah does that at the very beginning of his book is that he wants you to know, I'm part of the royal family. That I've been part of the royal ever since my birth in Judah. And the reason that that's important for this book is because he's had a front row seat to what has been happening in Judah. And what has he seen? From the leaders of God's being corruption, he's seen oppression, he's seen the leaders get richer and richer and the poor get poorer and poorer. And he's here to speak out against those things. As the prophet who's witnessed this to the leaders of Judah to speak out against those things. And in the mid, right there in the midst of that, as you come to the end of this book, and you've heard... If you go back and read it this afternoon, you hear a lot of really scary stuff in the first two and a half chapters. And then you get to the end, and he tells these people to rejoice. He tells them to be glad. He tells them to exalt with all of their heart in the midst of a pending invasion from the Assyrians who are going to come and blot them out in the tailwind of heartache that is getting ready to come. He tells these people to rejoice and exult with all of their hearts as if the victory had already been won. That he's looking with a different perspective, an an internal perspective. And so it's important to ask this question before we think about this. Who is Zephaniah talking to? Who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to Judah. He's talking to Israel. But he's not talking simply, and we might think, well, He's just called out the leaders, and so he's talking to the good. There's certain people in this tribe who are are good and moral and upright, and he's simply addressing the good little boys and girls. I don't think that's what's happening. I think that all of these people have been convicted in their heart. All of them have seen their sin. That there is, He's talking to the people who have seen it, and they realize... We're right with everyone else, and what we deserve is we deserve judgment. And they're tired, and they're weary, scared, and they're on the verge of giving up all hope, and they're trembling with the realization of what their sins deserve. But this is who he's talking to. He's talking to the people who are still listening and who have not given up hope. Listening to God. That they still believe, even though everything looks like it could never be true, they still believe that God is their deliverer and that he is going to find a way to show them mercy. You know, when they told you that these Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask, what are we supposed to be doing to be doing the works of God? And Jesus himself answers, I want you to believe. Believe in him who he has sent. These are people who are simply trusting who are believing that God is going to find a way to do it. They don't know how, they don't know when, but they're still listening 
to his voice. So it's important to know that these words this morning, they aren't just They are for people who believe. They are for those who trust in the Lord. They are for those who know that He is a deliverer. And so that might be this morning, just have your faith may be as small as a mustard seed. And even if it is, there is an ocean in this passage this morning. So I want to think about it for a few minutes. I want to think about the reason that we have to hope. And then I want to think about the timing, the timing of that hope or the timing of God's deliverance. Okay, let's think about the reason that Zephaniah gives us for hope. He starts this this last section with these words, rejoice, sing aloud, exalt with all your heart. In verse 16, he says, fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow slack. And here's the question that pops up in my mind. It's probably the question that popped up in their mind as they listen to the prophet. Why? Why? Be afraid. What reason is there for me to actually rejoice in the midst of everything that I see around me? What reason is there for me to not give up every bit of hope that I ever had? Maybe you ask those same kind of questions, right? Don't you ask those questions? I ask those questions. If you're ever going to ask those questions, this is the time those questions. And I want you to know that it's okay to ask those questions to God because God's people are constantly asking him those same kind of questions. Don't you sometimes ask this question, is there really any reason for me to not be terrified? Because it seems like I should be. Don't you tremble at the thought of what might happen to your own life? Or what might happen to the life of the people that you love? Don't you get afraid when you think about what tomorrow might hold? Don't you sometimes feel like not trying anymore? Don't you want your hands to just simply go weak? Or maybe to just throw them up and surrender and saying, I don't know what to do about my own struggle and my much less the struggle against the darkness in this world. Don't you ask the question, is there any real reason to hope? Is there any real reason to try? And if you ask those questions, I want you to know those are biblical questions. Those are questions that the people of God ask. Those are the questions that every single person in this room in one way or another has asked probably in some form or fashion this very week. Is there even a reason to get up? Is there a reason to keep trying? Is there a reason to believe that it could possibly get better? Is there a reason to come in here and sing aloud and to shout and to exalt my heart? Is there a reason to do that? And Zephaniah comes to us and says, you better bet there is a reason. And when God tells you to rejoice, he gives you a reason. When God to open up your mouth and to sing and to exalt with all your heart, He comes back at you with reasons for doing that. He does that to his people in this passage, and he does that for us this morning. And Zephaniah lists a lot of these reasons. And the first one is this, and this is the biggie. And it's repeated twice in this passage, that the reason that we have to rejoice and to open our mouth and to sing this morning is this, because the King, the Lord God, is in your midst. He is in your midst. This is the the phrase upon which the entire passage 
turns, that that the Lord God is in your midst. Who is the Lord God? The proper name of God that's translated Lord here, that he is, his name is this, I am who I am. That we translate sometimes, or we, we give it language called Yahweh or Jehovah. But when God reveals who he is, all he says is, I am who I am. Nobody defines me but me. I am the maker and the creator of the heavens and earth. I am the source of all life and all being. And Zephaniah comes to them and says, you need to rejoice because of this, that the Lord Yahweh, Jehovah, is in your very midst. And Yahweh is always the primary actor of our story. If Yahweh is in our midst, what that means, and this is a relief to me, it means we're not the most important people in the room. So you can, you can exhale because Yahweh is in your midst. He is always acting. He is always doing. Zephaniah says, because of this, because he's in your midst, you shall never again fear evil. Now that's a bold claim, right? You shall never again fear evil. He back that up. Well, he backs it up. Throughout this whole section, there are all these, I don't know if you heard it when Hannah read it, but there's all these I will or he will statements. There's actually nine of them. That the, the midst, Yahweh is in your midst, and this is what he will do. And let me tell you, when God says he will do something, he will do it. He is a God who keeps his promises and warning For those of us who trust in his name, like I said, even if it's as small as the mustard seed, these are promises for us that he is in our midst and he will do something if he is in our midst. And and I'm going to ask these to you in the form of a question. We could spend a week in these, but I'm just going to throw them out there and hear what God will do. Are you overwhelmed with guilt this morning? Do you feel like when you look that everyone else in here is better than you are and in your mind you just constantly are condemning, condemning, condemning yourself? Are you overwhelmed with guilt? The Lord will take away the judgments that are against you. Verse 15, that is what he will do. We deserve judgments. The Lord who is in our midst is going to take them away. Are you surrounded by enemies? Are you surrounded by oppressors? Are you surrounded by abuse? Verse 15 and 19, he says, I have already cleared them away. It's as good as done. I am going to take care of it. Are you desperate for love? Are you dying for somebody to know you and to love you? He will rejoice over you with gladness. Verse 17, are you mourning? Are you grieving? Verse 18, He's a party for you. Are you lame and are you outcast? Do you feel like nobody sees you? Do you feel rejected? Are you physically in a place where you feel like your body's falling apart? Are you full of disease? Are you can't walk? He says, I will save you. Verse 19. Are you wrestling with shame? Not just the guilt over what you've done, but the feeling that You are just in and of yourself. You are bad and there's no one could ever love you, much less anybody else. He is going to change your shame into praise, verse 19. Do you feel ignored and unseen? He will make your name, in verse 20, renowned and praised the earth. Are you 
Are you broke? Like literally. Like I don't have, you, you don't know where the next paycheck is going to come from. He will restore the fortunes of heaven to you in verse 20. Go noon and read those I wills. The Lord your God is in your midst. And when he is in your midst, that means he is there for a reason. And he is there to do some work. And he will do it. And he tells you what he's going to do. But let me zero in on a few of this. If the Lord Yahweh is in our midst, it's important to know a few things about his character and what he actually does. And he tells you that, but let me zero in on this. And this is really important, that he is a God who is forgiving. Now, that's Christianity 101, but I just want you to, I just want to think about it for a minute. That he comes to them after all of this judgment of saying what they deserve, and then he comes to them and he says, but I'm going to take away the judgments that are against I'm going to come into your midst and I'm going to take away the judgments that are against you. In the New Testament, um, there's a word that describes what this means. And Paul uses it a lot. It's a word justification. That he is going, it's that he is taking away the judgment. That we stand before a judge who, who rightly can say, you are guilty and you are condemned. But Jesus comes and stands in our place and the verdict be not guilty because we get clothed with the righteousness of Jesus. Paul uses this language in Romans chapter 5. It's really similar to the language of Zephaniah. Listen to what he says. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace which we stand. And here's the word, we rejoice. We rejoice in hope of God. That if we worship a God who's in our midst and he's taken away the judgments against us, that gives us a reason to sing every morning despite what else is going on in our life or in the world because we have hope, because peace with God, that God is not at enmity with us any longer. But, but secondly, the God who is in your midst, he is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And I think that I think that what he's not just that you, the judgments have been taken away against you, justification, but he's talking about what I would call rectification. That, that not only, it, justification is glorious enough, but all these I will statements are pointing to the fact that he's going to make what was done wrong right again. That he's going to handle the things that were done wrong against you. That he is going to write the situation. That he's taken away the judgment so there's no longer any enmity between you and God. But he's also saying, you know those things in your life that were done to you, the wicked things, the things that you see all around you, he said, I'm going to rectify those. Mighty to save. That's what those I will statements are a lot about. That he cares about injustice. That he cares about poverty. That he cares about abuse. That he cares about mourning and grief. That he cares about racism. The sickness, I'm coming in my own timing, and I'm going to rectify those things. I'm going to make it right. But lastly, and maybe most importantly, what we see about God and we see about his character, the one who is in our midst, I don't use these words lightly, that he is a lover. He's a lover. That, that he has deep affection for his people, and you hear it in this passage that The Lord your God is in your midst. He is mighty to save. He will rejoice. You're called to rejoice. Why? Because he's rejoicing. Because he's singing over you. 
because he is exalting with loud singing. Listen to what one old pastor said about it, a pastor named Charles Spurgeon. I love these words. He says, the Lord takes pleasure in them that fear him, imperfect though they be. They are to be. And so he rejoices over them, even when they cannot rejoice in themselves. You feel like that? That you can't rejoice? You cannot rejoice in yourself. When your face is blurred with tears, your eyes red with weeping, your heart heavy with sorrow for sin, then and there the great Father is rejoicing over you. You are questioning, doubting, sorrowing, trembling, and all the while he who sees the end from the beginning knows what will come out of the present disquietude, and therefore he rejoices. Let me say that again. We are questioning, doubting, sorrowing, trembling, and all the while he who sees the end from the beginning knows what will come out of this present sorrow, this present trouble, this present circumstance, and therefore even now he is rejoicing. And he ends by saying, let us rise in faith to share the joy of God. In other words, if God can rejoice over you right now in this present state, in this present condition, I think you have permission to rejoice as well. I think you have permission to rejoice over you. That you have permission to even rejoice over your life because God rejoices over you. Can you imagine? I love the, the words that Zephaniah uses that, that God exalts with loud singing over you. Can you imagine this Yahweh that we just described opening his chorus? Can you imagine what that must sound like? Is it possible to conceive of him breaking into a song? And listen to this. God is so happy in the love which he has for you that he burned silence and the sun, moon, and the stars stand back in astonishment as God bellows through the heavens a hymn of praise over you. You, right now. Right now, he is singing over his people because he delights in his people. You may have always wanted a dad who would come and maybe sweep you off your feet and throw you up in the air. You may have longed for a father who would embrace you and rejoice over you and tell you how proud he is of you. And the good news this morning is you've got one. And his name is Yahweh. And he admits right now, and that is not some sappy, sentimental view of God. That is how God himself describes himself in the way that he feels about his people. And so you might ask, well, that sounds good, but that's not how I feel right now. I, what, when is the timing of this? When is this going to actually happen? When is this going to be fully realized? And Zephaniah says this. All he says, and this probably was incredibly frustrating in some ways to them, and it, he says, at that time, at that time, on that day, At that time, and he lists all this stuff. On that day, and he lists all that stuff. And you go, well, what day is that? What time is that? And he doesn't say. He just says, it's coming. And he actually says, there's a sense of which it's already happened. Because if God decides to do something, it's just a matter of when he's going to do it, not if he's going to do it. And so he's already done these things in his own mind. Nia doesn't bother with telling us the time. And so we know that for Judah, the hardship isn't over. 
They're about to see a lot more difficult things. We know in our life right now as you're listening to this sermon, you're saying, well, yeah, I'm going to leave here, and there's a junk that happens in my life that I don't like, and it's really hard. So is the prophet lying, or is God not one who keeps his promises? When is this going to happen? Well, we know two things. They are this. One, Jesus Jesus humbled himself, and Jesus took on, and Jesus of this world. And Jesus, along the way to the cross, he gathered the lame, and he gathered the outcast, and he changed their shame into praise, and he touched the eyes of the blind, and they would see again those who were soaked in their own sin and who were possessed by demons, and he pronounced them forgiven, that Jesus gave us, the light has come into the world, and he gave us a foretaste of what is coming. At the end of Jesus, he hangs on the cross and he doesn't cry out, I'm just looking for a few good moral people to carry out my mission. No, Jesus cries out from the cross, it is done, it's finished. I'm the one who works, I'm the one who midst, and I have accomplished all of it. And so that those of us who come after Jesus, we're not doing work For him, we're doing his work. We're carrying out his mission. And we know this for sure as well, that when Jesus ascends into heaven, he sends his spirit to be among his people. And you see it at Pentecost, and you see these flames. That's no mistake. These flames of fire. What are those? They're light. They come in red of God's people. And they are indwelt with the Holy Spirit. So that literally, those of us this morning who are united to Jesus, we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, that He is in our midst in a way that we're listening to Zephaniah could have never imagined because the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is now alive in those of you this morning whose faith is in Jesus. He is in your midst. So that two things we know on that day, at that day, part of that happened, Jesus came, but we also know this, Jesus is coming again. He's coming again. If I could get a hallelujah, you can give me a hallelujah. Jesus is coming again. He is coming again. And we know that there is part of this prophecy of Zephaniah that is yet to be fulfilled in its fullness. That we're still waiting for it, right? We're still living in the time in between. It, it, it just hasn't been ruled us yet. Jesus is returning. In the meantime, we might sometimes feel like the people of Judah. We might say, does he really rejoice over me? With a loud singing. Is, this, is he really coming back? You know, the prophet right before Zephaniah, Habakkuk, I think it's right before, he asks all these questions. He basically says, God, it's a mess down here. Where are you? What about this violence? What about all this junk? Quiet. It's okay for God's people to ask those questions. That sometimes we feel the same way as well. But friends, there is a day coming when the Lord of hosts will deal with all the oppressors. That you can rest assured of. That means that you don't have to right every wrong yourself. There is a day coming when he says, I will change your shame into praise, eternal praise. There is a day coming when I wipe away all of your tears and I will invite you into the banquet hall the feast of the Lord God, and you will feast and rejoice there for all of eternity. And we might ask the question, is that really plausible? Is it really to believe that 
Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, is coming again to judge the living and the dead and that he is coming to restore all things unto himself. And I would say that it is not only logical, only hope. It is the only hope of this broken, worn out mess of a world. And I would ask in return, do you got a better solution? Do you have an economic system or a political leading plan that can answer any of these questions? And we all know the truth. We don't. Do you believe in the progress of the human spirit that all of a sudden we're going to figure it out and we're all going to practice random acts of kindness to one another? It's not going to happen. What is going to happen is come again. This is our only hope. The Lord God is in our midst right now in this room he hasn't come to show his might to his people to terrify them, but to be mighty enough to save. But his might is driven by his affection. His might is driven by his deep love for sinners. And so we trust Jesus' first coming, and we actively wait for his return. And Zephaniah says in the meantime, don't let your weak. He's saying you have a reason to rejoice. You have a reason to hope. You have a job to do, to join in the work of God, to join in restoration. And so we wait for the Lord and we trust in his promise and we get to work and we know that the time is up to him. The timing is up to him. I learned a lesson. I'll end with this. I learned a lesson. An old dog knew tricks. Well, you, your dog can also teach you things. And my dog taught me the other night. I was home alone with my dog and my whole family was out. And my wife had texted me and said she was coming home soon. But my dog doesn't have a phone or read text and so my dog didn't know this but my dog did know because I'm sitting there doing some work and I'm watching my dog and my dog is on this little perch by the window and she is she is just waiting for my wife to come back and she is all you know her up she's all tense and I'll, I kind of would call her name and like for just a split second she would look back but then she was right back at it she was watching she was waiting. She was anticipating. And the moment that car pulled away, she was to the door. She runs to the door, and she gets at the door, and her nose, I promise, is this far away from the door, so close that I'm like, when she opens the door, she's going to hit the dog. But the dog knows this, and she's listening for the car door to close, and she's listening for the foots to come on the porch, and she's listening for the key to go in the keyhole, and she's listening for the door handle to turn. And in the moment it turns, she jumps back so that she can get jump back towards my wife and greet her because she has been eagerly anticipating, waiting with all of her muscles tense for her return. Friends, every, this very morning, in the midst of everything that you're experiencing, there is a reason to hope and there is to rejoice. There is a reason to sing aloud because the Lord your God is in your midst and he is a mighty one who will save, and he rejoices over you with gladness right now, and he quiets you with his, and he exalts over you with loud singing, and it might look really bleak, and it might seem really far off, but that day is near, and it is surely coming. As the Apostle Paul said, no eye has seen, has heard, no mind has ever imagined or conceived what God has prepared for those of us who love him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help our unbelief and that you would help us to hear these words of the prophet that they are spoken this morning to us. 
that they are for us. Father, I pray that you would drive away our shame right now, that you would allow praise as we come to this table, as we eat at the table of our Lord Jesus, that you would help us to remember that in the midst of our present hardships and sorrows, that you have not forgotten us, and that you are one who keeps your promises. And Father, I pray that you would help us to lean upon those, that you would feed us this morning at this table with the hope that is only found in your Son, Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.